Hi, and welcome to Crash Course Catholicism, a podcast about Catholic teaching and why it makes sense. I'm your host, Caitlin West. Hello and welcome to episode 60. What a nice round number. This is one of our Catholicism and episodes. And today we're going to talk about Catholicism and Halloween. This topic was suggested by a listener, Hannah. Hi, Hannah. Thank you for suggesting this episode. And it was a very timely suggestion because Halloween is in fact coming up in like a few days. So, Today, we're going to take a look at the history of Halloween, where it comes from, its relationship with Christianity, and how, as Catholics, we might celebrate it. But before we get stuck into it, I wanted to share something with you that I thought you might enjoy. I recently heard from a listener called Sean, hi Sean, who used to be a Mormon bishop and has now converted to Catholicism. And he has a really fascinating, awesome story. Sean was recently interviewed on a YouTube channel called Drew the Catholic, and it's a really excellent interview. So I will include a link to that in the show notes so that you can check it out. Also, this is a good reminder for us to keep praying for people who are listening to the podcast, because some people are going through massive conversions and it is really cool. Actually, maybe I'll do that at some point in the future. Maybe we'll actually do a bit in an episode and I might share some of the stories that I've gotten from people because some of them are like super inspirational. Okay, but for now, let's talk about Halloween. Halloween, I mean, it's mostly a thing in the US. It's been pretty big there for a while now. When I was a kid, no one did Halloween in Australia. It was like not a thing. I think one time my neighbor had a Halloween party and my mom was really irritated by it. She was like, oh, that's so American, <laughs> despite the fact that she is American. Anyway, I think she literally like cut two holes in a sheet and just draped it over me and was like, okay, off you go. So Halloween used to not be a thing outside of the US particularly, but these days I feel like everyone is into Halloween. It's kind of spread. Like my 16 year old sister is having a Halloween party. So I thought it might be a good thing to talk about. What is it? Where does it come from? Now, underneath all of the ghosts and skeletons and trick-or-treat, Halloween actually has its roots in Christianity. The word Halloween is short for All Hallows' Eve or the Eve of All Saints' Day. The word hallow is an old word for holy or saint. So the Feast of All Saints actually goes all the way back to the very first centuries of Christianity. So in the early church, Christians used to commemorate the lives of specific martyrs with their own feast days. However, in the early 4th century, the church went through a period of persecution and there were so many martyrs during that time that they couldn't each be given their own feast day. So Christians started celebrating a single feast day for all of the other martyrs on the first Sunday after Pentecost. And this continued until the 8th century when Pope Gregory III moved the feast to November the 1st to coincide with the opening of a new chapel that was dedicated to all saints. And the feast day became a celebration not just of martyrs, but of all the saints. 
And then for about a hundred years, this feast day was just kind of like a local feast in Rome. But in the ninth century, Pope Gregory IV officially made it a universal feast day, meaning that the whole church worldwide celebrates it. And this is still a feast that we celebrate today. In fact, the Feast of All Saints is a solemnity, which is like the most important kind of feast day. So other solemnities include Christmas and Easter Sunday. In canon law, it's actually a holy day of obligation, meaning a day when Catholics are obliged to attend Mass, although that's not enforced in every region. Now, all of the biggest feast days in the Catholic Church are celebrated with a vigil. They're so important that we start celebrating the night before. So we can think of Christmas Eve, for example. And the same is true of All Saints Day. The vigil is Hallow's Eve or Halloween. So we celebrate the Feast of All Saints on November 1st and Halloween is October the 31st. Now, as well as All Saints Day, the Catholic Church also celebrates All Souls Day on November the 2nd, the day after. All Souls Day is a day when we pray for the souls of all the dead who are not yet in heaven. So they're in purgatory. So naturally, around this time in the liturgical calendar, we're thinking more about death and purgatory and heaven. Over time, practices kind of sprung up in different cultures around praying for the dead and preparing for our own deaths on All Hallows' Eve. So in Ireland, people would go and visit the graves of their departed family members and say prayers for them. There's also a practice called souling that started in the Middle Ages. In England, people would go around to different parishes and they would ask for soul cakes. And in exchange for those cakes, they would offer prayers for the souls of the givers. However, today, Halloween obviously involves more than just praying for the dead. It involves practices like trick-or-treating and dressing up in costume and carving jack-o'-lanterns. It's not like just a Christian feast day anymore. So where do all of these other traditions come from? Well, there's kind of a variety of influences. In Ireland and Scotland, there was a Gaelic pagan festival that started in the 9th century called Samhain. Apologies to my Irish listeners if I just butchered that pronunciation. It's spelled Samhain for anyone who wants to Google it, but it's pronounced Samhain, which, like, that's Gaelic for you. <laughs> so Samhain was a pagan festival that marked the end of the harvest season in October and the beginning of the winter months in November. And by pure coincidence, it fell at the same time as All Hallows' Eve. And during Samhain, people believed that the spirits of the dead, both good and bad, would wander the earth again again for one night. And so they would do various things to kind of ward off the bad spirits, like lighting bonfires and dressing up and wearing masks. And in later versions of this festival, people would go door to door and they would recite verses in exchange for food. And if someone gave you food, then they would have good luck. And if they sent you away, they would have bad luck. So we can see here similarities with trick-or-treating. Now, there's some dispute over the degree to which Samhain influenced Halloween. Some people think it was a massive influence because it came from Ireland and then the Irish brought a lot of those traditions with them to the US. But others have pointed out that there were actually many other similar practices that were popular in Europe at the time that also found their way to America. So there was a German-American Christmas tradition that was called, wait for it, Bell Snickling. <laughs> Isn't that the best name? I can't stop saying it. Bell Snickling. <laughs> and that involved people dressing up and going door to door and then seeing if people could guess who they were. I think people still do it in some parts of um, America. There's also something called 
mumming, which was a common practice throughout Europe from the medieval period onwards. Mumming involved dressing up and performing, sometimes going door to door on important feast days. I was just talking to my Dutch friend, actually, and she was telling me about the Feast of St. Martin in the Netherlands. And on the Feast of St. Martin, which falls on the 11th of November, people also dress up and go door to door and they sing songs and in return, people hand out sweets. And that's actually a day of celebration for St. Martin, who apparently gave half of his cloak to someone poor. So it's all about like celebrating giving. And then in the Philippines, and this is something that people still do in some areas, people would dress up as ghosts or spirits around All Hallows' Eve to represent the holy souls in purgatory. And then they would go around to different houses and sing songs and ask for prayers for the dead. So there is a kind of variety of forms and influences related to the whole trick-or-treating thing and many of the other practices that, that relate to Halloween. Another Halloween tradition that came out of Ireland was the jack-o'-lantern. So jack-o'-lanterns are pumpkins with scary faces carved in them and a candle inside. There was an old Irish tradition of carving scary faces in turnips and putting a candle inside and then using the turnip as a lantern to ward off bad spirits. And once the Irish started emigrating to the US in the 1800s, they brought this tradition with them. But in the US, they discovered pumpkins, which were way easier to carve than turnips. So this developed into carving jack lanterns out of pumpkins. So today, Halloween is a kind of a melting pot of different symbols and traditions. We have images that are associated with death, things like skeletons and ghosts. And that makes sense because it's related to All Souls Day and also other cultural traditions and practices around death. And over time, the kind of ghosts and skeletons kind of broadened into images of other spooky things like mummies and monsters. We also have images associated with autumn, so pumpkins and scarecrows and autumn leaves, and that's because Halloween occurs in autumn in the US. Now, one of the questions that Christians sometimes ask today is, can we still celebrate Halloween? And there are two key concerns that people seem to have. The first is that Halloween isn't, as we've kind of already mentioned, it's not a a particularly Christian celebration anymore. It's not a day when we all go to vigil mass and pray by the graves of the dead and prepare for All Saints Day. It's much more commercialized. It's about dressing up as someone from the Marvel franchise and eating lollies. And some Christians get worried that it's become very materialistic and very secular. The other concern that people have is that All of those images of witches and ghosts and the influence of pagan festivals, etc., might mean that Halloween can kind of glorify things like death or witchcraft or paganism, etc. Now, it's important to note that the Catholic Church doesn't have some kind of official stance on celebrating Halloween. And the reason for that is that it kind of depends on your context, right? It depends on how you're celebrating it, where you live. Like there's no blanket answer to whether or not Halloween is good or bad. It's ultimately an area where we can use our own judgment based on our own context. However, there are some basic principles that we can bear in mind to help us to kind of navigate this question. And as with all of these things, there is usually a middle ground that we can find that doesn't involve us necessarily fully embracing every single aspect of secular culture, but it also doesn't involve us like running away from it completely. So principle number one, the church teaches that we must never ever 
ever (laughs) engage in witchcraft or occultism. So point 2117 of the Catechism says, All practices of magic or sorcery are gravely contrary to the virtue of religion. These practices are even more to be condemned when accompanied by the intention of harming someone or when they have recourse to the intervention of demons. Spiritism often implies divination or magical practices. The church, for her part, warns the faithful against it. So, we should never participate in any form of witchcraft or occultism. Things like seances or Ouija boards or, you know, wearing magic charms. Principle two. The Catholic Church also teaches that preparing for and thinking about death and heaven and purgatory can actually be a really good thing. So point 1007 of the the Catechism says, Remembering our mortality helps us realize that we have only a limited time in which to bring our lives to fulfillment. So the church actually like actively encourages us to reflect on what we call the four last things, death, judgment, heaven, and hell. And it's important to reflect on these things as a reminder, not only that we're going to die, but also that there is something after death and that this is our destination. Principle three. The Catholic Church has no problem with things that are spooky or scary. There's nothing intrinsically wrong with spooky stuff. Just like how meditating on death can remind us of our ultimate destination, the experience of fear in the right context can remind us to avoid evil and do good. It only becomes a problem when we develop a kind of unhealthy fascination or even obsession with evil things, or we begin to see them in a positive light. So if anyone follows Pints with Aquinas, Matt Frad is like super into horror, not in all of its forms, but in some forms, which I personally don't understand because I don't like horror. I am very easily scared. Like I didn't sleep for a week after I watched Jumanji. (laughs) And so I don't find that kind of experience of fear helpful, but some people do. And I use this example to illustrate that not all things that are scary or spooky or even like horror they're not all necessarily evil or drawing us away from God. They can orient us towards heaven. We just have to be very prudent about it. So how do we unite all of these three principles in a response to Halloween? Well, the first thing we need to do is think about our intention. So we've said that we should never engage in the occult or in witchcraft. So If I am around Halloween, I'm dressing up as a witch because I'm a neo-pagan and I'm trying to glorify witchcraft and, you know, I invite all my friends over and I do a tarot card reading for them. Okay, that not a good thing. I should not do that. We cannot engage with the occult. However, if I have like a six-year-old who wants to carry around a broomstick and a wand on Halloween because they love Harry Potter, or they want to dress up as a monster or a mummy or a unicorn or Buzz Lightyear for Halloween. Okay, that might be more of a kind of imaginary play that's quite innocent and that's drawing on fantasy and literary tropes rather than drawing on some kind of sinister pagan practice. There's a great quote from a Catholic apologist called Jimmy Aiken. He says, 
we don't have to be puritanical about it. It can be legitimate as a form of imaginative play to play dress up. And you don't have to play dress up as a saint. Some people do that, but you don't have to. Kids enjoy play and dress up as other things, whether it's nurses or cops. And it's not intrinsically wrong to even dress up as a monster just for fun. So maybe you don't want your child to like dress up as, you know, the devil, <laughs> but maybe they want to dress up as a fireman for Halloween and that can be really innocent and fun. We also have to remember, and this is a point that Father John Flatter, who is an Australian priest, made in an article for the Catholic Weekly. We have to remember that even if some of the Halloween traditions that we have today like dressing up and carving jack-o'-lanterns, even if originally there was some influence of, you know, pagan traditions, those original pagan practices were all aimed at warding off bad spirits rather than embracing them. The second thing to remember is that not every image of death or spooky things is automatically connected to occultism or witchcraft. So many of the images of, you know, skeletons and skulls and ghosts at Halloween have come out of and can be connected to the idea of All Souls Day and the last things. They can actually be used to reorient us towards heaven if we approach them in the right way. So, for instance, that version of souling that still occurs in the Philippines, in which people dress up as spirits and ghosts in order to ask for prayers for the holy souls in purgatory. So Halloween can be used as a bit of a prompt, as a kind of memento mori moment to remind us that there is something after death and that we should pray for the souls of people who have died. So maybe if you have kids, you can use Halloween and All Souls Day as an opportunity to remind them to pray for friends or family members who've passed away. Now, let's consider this other concern, that Halloween is really commercialized and it promotes materialism and intemperance. Now, it's true that with all of these big like feast days that have roots in Christianity, like Christmas and Easter and Halloween, they have been kind of bastardized and co-opted and turned into something quite materialistic. And that is a massive shame. However, that doesn't mean that we have to approach them in a materialistic way. We can use these days as an opportunity to learn and grow in virtue. So, for example, I knew a family who every year they would go trick-or-treating and the kids knew that whatever lollies they got, would they'd bring them home and they'd all go into one big jar that the whole family shared. And there was a limit on how many they could each have every day. And the kids would learn how to share with each other. The older ones would share some of their lollies with younger ones who didn't have as many, etc. And this was a learning experience of temperance and generosity. These same friends also used to have like a, a street party at Halloween and it was a chance for the neighbors to, you know, dress up and have fun, but also to get to know each other and grow in a sense of community. I also know of some people who prefer not to hand out lollies at Halloween because they don't want to encourage that. They prefer to hand out something homemade or some non-sugary snacks. I remember my grandma once trying to sick some sultanas on a group of kids who were trick-or-treating and they were not impressed. <laughs> but yes, okay, if we don't want to engage with the whole sugar and materialism thing at Halloween, we don't need to do that. We could also encourage kids to dress up as someone who inspires them and uplifts them, someone like Joan of Arc or maybe a character from their favorite book. So with all of these things, it makes me think of what our Lord says in John chapter 17. I am not asking you to take them out of the world, but I ask you to protect them from the evil one. So we often hear that phrase as Christians, we need to be in the world, but not of the world. 
And Halloween is a really good example of that. As Catholics, we want to avoid a kind of black and white thinking where we either completely accept the way that the world does things or we just run away and shut the door and hide from the world. I mean, this is not to say that you have to celebrate Halloween. If you don't want to celebrate Halloween, you're completely free. You don't have to. But it can also be a really good opportunity to engage in popular culture without necessarily adopting every single element of it or doing something that we feel uncomfortable with. Okay, now, before we wrap up, one fun little final question in the spirit of Halloween. Do Catholics believe in ghosts? Well... There, there's actually a couple of really fantastic articles online about this, which I will include in the show notes. There's also a really great book by Peter Kraft called Doors in the Walls of the World. I really recommend that. But just briefly, let's address this question. So do we believe in ghosts? Well, the word ghost comes from the German word Geist, which just means spirit. So a ghost is the spirit or the soul of a person who has died. Now, the Catholic Church teaches that at death, a person's soul separates from their body. And St. Thomas Aquinas writes, According to the disposition of divine providence, separated souls sometimes come forth from their abode and appear to men. It is also credible that this may occur sometimes to the damned, and that for man's instruction and intimidation, they be permitted to appear to the living. Basically, while the church doesn't have a specific teaching on ghosts, many Catholic theologians, such as St. Thomas Aquinas, have reasoned that it is perfectly possible for the soul of someone who has died to either appear or make themselves known to someone who is alive, if God permits it. And in fact, there are many stories, and many of them are in the lives of the saints, of souls appearing to people on earth. So Peter Kraft talks about three kinds of spirits that might appear to someone. The first is a soul in purgatory who needs prayers. The second is a malevolent spirit that might appear as a result of someone engaging in the occult. So using a Ouija board or doing a seance. And the third is the spirit of a loved one in heaven. And God might permit them to visit someone or or make themselves known to someone to give them hope and reassurance. Now, one thing that's really important to note is that while God might allow a soul in purgatory or in heaven to make themselves known to someone on earth, actually two things. First of all, it is not common. It's not something that happens all the time. Secondly, It is not something that we should ever try to manipulate or to bring on ourselves. So we return to that earlier point that it is absolutely prohibited to try to reach out to spirits or engage in the occult. The reason for this is summarized in a really great article that was published by the St. Paul Center for Biblical Theology. It says that trying to make contact with spirits represents a loss of trust in God by seeking to bypass him and instead seek out the help of a lesser spirit or medium as a source of comfort, guidance, or information. This is a violation of the first of the Ten Commandments. So, while God might permit a soul to appear to someone on earth, we should never try to induce an apparition ourselves. Doing so will most likely lead to the appearance of that second kind of spirit, i.e. a malevolent spirit. So, 
if we ever hear stories of things like hauntings and ghosts and haunted houses, I mean, a lot of that stuff is just silly and made up, but it does sometimes happen. And when it does, there is probably one of two things happening. Well, one of three. The first is that the person might be hallucinating. Okay. But secondly, it might be a cry for help. It might be a soul in purgatory who needs prayers. And thirdly, it might be an unfriendly spirit. So if we hear of something like that, or if we have an experience ourselves, we can do two things. First of all, pray. (laughs) Pray that if it's a soul in purgatory, they might go to heaven and offer mass for them. Two, go and talk to a priest, especially a priest who is trained in this area, Don't try to like engage with a spirit beyond praying for them because a malevolent spirit can pose as a loved one or a soul in purgatory. Just ask Hamlet. (laughs) Pray, talk to a priest and leave it with God. Also, just like one other guiding principle, bear in mind that if a soul in purgatory is appearing to someone on earth or, or makes themselves known to someone on earth, the only reason that they would do that would be to ask for prayers. Okay, so in situations where like a soul is appearing and telling someone to do something or like any of that stuff beyond like just praying for someone who has died, run. Okay, don't don't go near it. Pray, talk to a priest, leave it with God. Okay, that is all we have time for today. Nice and spooky note to end on. Next episode, we're going to talk about how the rosary works. Such fun. I can't wait. Have a fantastic fortnight. I will talk to you later. Okay, bye. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Crash Course Catholicism. If you are enjoying this podcast and you'd like to support it, you can do so by subscribing and leaving a review. You can also become a patron on Patreon. But most importantly, please pray for me and for everyone listening to this podcast. Have a fantastic day. Bye.